the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Why do the nations rage? Because they no longer want to be submissive to God. They see submission to God as bondage. His sovereignty is restrictive. They want autonomy. They want freedom. They want to be like God. This is the same lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. I wonder if you were thinking the same thing I was as we both listened to those opening words. We want autonomy. We want freedom. And at this moment, certainly, our freedom is restricted almost everywhere. Strange days and confusing times. But isn't it in those types of situations that the Lord works in ways we couldn't imagine, despite Satan's best efforts? An encouraging thought in the midst of discouraging times as we continue our study verse by verse in the second psalm with Pastor Leighton Sheely from Church of the Highlands in San Bruno. Now, the language of Psalm 2 is more idealistic than realistic because obviously today this earth is still filled with peoples and nations that rage against God and His anointed. So the fulfillment of this psalm speaks of a future reality. And the book of Revelation speaks of the future reality. So therefore, it is logical that Revelation would contain references to Psalm chapter 2, and it does, such as Revelation 2.27. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. And so Revelation speaks of the future, speaks of this as past tense. It has happened at some point in the future. And James Montgomery Boyce makes an interesting observation He wrote, There is some evidence in both Jewish and Christian traditions that Psalm 2 was at one time joined to Psalm 1, both Psalms together being considered the first Psalm. In the Jewish tradition, Rabbi Yohanan is quoted in the Talmud as having said, Every chapter that was particularly dear to King David, he commenced with happy or blessed, and terminated or ended with happy. He began with happy as in happy is the man, he terminated with happy as in happy are all that take refuge in him. These refer to the first verse of Psalm 1 and the last verse of Psalm 2, which indicates the two psalms were at one time considered to be a single literary unit. Now, Boyce continues, this throws light on how Psalm 2 should be taken, for the psalm is messianic, and if it was originally linked with Psalm 1, then the doctrine of the two ways introduced and explained in Psalm 1 is here carried forward, but at a higher pitch. On one hand, the way of sinners in Psalm 1 is now... It now becomes a cosmic revolt of the nations against God and against His anointed. It becomes an unfolding of the wrong path and its consequences. It is by taking refuge in Jesus that the judgment awaiting the wicked can be avoided. Another scholar wrote, Psalm 1 deals with the Word. Psalm 2 deals with the world. Psalm 1 contrasts the righteous with the ungodly. Psalm 2 contrasts the nations with their divine ruler. Psalm 1 deals with a particular, Psalm 2 with the universal. 
This is a messianic psalm. It foretells the installment of God's Messiah, God's Christ, God's Savior. And we cannot really fully understand this psalm until we realize that it is a description of the rebellion of the heart of man against God and not merely a depiction of some event in history where some king and his people revolted against King David or his successors. Now, that is an introduction. Let's dig deeper into this verse by verse. Now, the outline of Psalm 2 is straightforward. It divides into four nearly equal parts, each uttered by a different speaker. In the first section, which is verses 1 through 3, The speakers are the rebellious rulers of the earth that are introduced by the narrator. In the second, that is verses 4 through 6, the narrator describes God's reaction to the plots of the rebels. In the third strophe, which is verses 7 through 9, the king describes how the Lord promised to him to give him worldwide dominion. And then in the last section, verses 10 through 12, the psalmist warns the rebels to submit to God or face certain destruction. And then closes with a pronouncement of blessing on those who come to God, come to Christ for protection. So let's look at verse 1. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? Now, these are two lines that form a question uh, and describe how foolish and useless it is, these plots that are being planned against God and his chosen king. The second line repeats the first, but it uh, gives an affirmation that these plots will not succeed. And this is is written in the form of a question, but it's not a question requesting information, but rather a way of expressing astonishment and contempt for the very notion that people would rise up against God. How ludicrous it is. The French Common Language Version it uses and translates it thus. It says, the nations are in an uproar, but why? The people's plot, but it is useless. Let's continue. Verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. So in verse 1, it's talking about the people, the nations. And then second verse, it's talking about the kings of the earth and the rulers. Now, the kings is a reference to political leaders, And the rulers are a reference to religious leaders. Now, while it's true that leaders can lead a people into rebellion against God, it is also true that a corrupt population will raise up corrupt leaders. And people who are in rebellion against God will promote leaders that are in rebellion against God. It's a reciprocal relationship. The phrase of the earth contains a certain contempt for these rulers because they're no more than mere earthly kings, not like the king that God has anointed. And the phrase set themselves up means they prepared themselves for battle. The kings of the earth have actually prepared themselves for battle against God Almighty. Anointed is the word from which we get Messiah. The one, and, and, and it comes from the, the, the background of pouring olive oil on someone that has been set apart or dedicated for high office. And here it means the king whose anointing was 
chosen by God. So rebellion against this chosen king was rebellion against God. Now the point of this rage of the nations and the rulers becomes clear in verse 3. Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Why do the nations rage? Because they no longer want to be submissive to God, to his king, to his word, to his kingdom. They see submission to God as bondage. His sovereignty is restrictive. They want autonomy. They want freedom. They want to be like God. They want to decide what is right and what is wrong. They want to decide what is good and what is evil. They don't want God deciding that for them. Now the statement reveals how these people and their leaders perceive God and his word. They perceive God as restricting them, holding them back. This is the same lie that Satan told Eve in the garden. God doesn't want you to take of that fruit because he knows in the day your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. God doesn't want you to take that tree because he's holding out on you. You know, you really can't trust God. The lies of Satan in the garden continue even to this day. Second part, verses 4 through 6. Here the speaker changes. The speaker is now God the Father. And how does he react to these puny little human leaders? Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. God is not trembling in heaven. He's not calculating, I wonder if they can get away with this rebellion. He doesn't even get up out of his throne. He sits there and he laughs. What an imbecilic idea to rise up against God. Being seated is a sign of his authority. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things. The nations are but a drop in a bucket. The nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him less than nothing and worthless. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of earth useless. He's so far above them, he laughs. It's the only place in the Bible where God is said to laugh. And that doesn't mean that God doesn't have a sense of humor. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is God, and there is lots of humor in the Sermon on the Mount, which is one of the reasons he was initially so popular. It's not that God doesn't have a sense of humor, but this is not a laugh that's related to humor. It's a laugh of derision. It's the Lord scoffs at them. This is what human attempts deserve. Now, it's understandable that sinners would want to reject God's rule because fundamentally that's what sin is. It's a repudiation of God's rule in favor of one's own. Before the Ten Commandments, there was only one commandment. Don't partake of the fruit of this particular tree in the garden. And it wasn't like Adam and Eve were hungry. They could partake of all of the others. Before the Ten Commandments, there was only one. And what Adam and Eve chose to do was to disregard God's rules and implement their own. 
But the folly of this surpasses belief. How in the world can human beings think they're going to get rid of God? The Lord doesn't negotiate with rebels. He doesn't change his plan. His king is installed, and that's the end of the matter. Do you know people like that? You have a conversation, and then they cut it off with a short response that essentially says, that's the end of the matter. Of course you do. Well, God is the only one who can do that, though, isn't he? Right? I hope you said right. If not, think about it over the weekend. (laughs) Reread Psalm chapter 2 and join us on Monday for more teaching on this from Pastor Leighton Sheely. If you pick things up midway, this is a daily broadcast called Study Verse by Verse, and it's sponsored by Church of the Highlands in San Bruno and the many listeners who help with their contributions. Please check out our website at highlands.us and see how worship and ministry is taking place at Church of the Highlands during these shutdown times. The doors at the church may be closed, but the teaching and the outreach continue at highlands.us. I'm Mike Trout, hoping you have a blessed weekend and can come back at the same time Monday when we'll study verse by verse.